is your girl, Taylor Wilde. Welcome back to Wild On, the podcast where you get the insider's view of the weird, wonderful, wild world of women's wrestling on Wednesdays. How did a nice Canadian girl like me end up wrestling some of the toughest women in the world in front of millions of people? It's the number one question I get asked. This episode was inspired by years of questions from fans, as well as a YouTube video that was titled, The TNA Knockout Who WWE Rejected. And rejected is typed in large capped letters to emphasize the drama no doubt. I beg your fucking pardon. I am all for controversial conversation, but get your facts straight, my man. I was never rejected by WWE. Quite the contrary, actually. I understand the murkiness of his content because I've never told my story. Now I have a platform to do so. So today's episode is titled, The Little Japanese Boy Who Couldn't. I promise the title will make sense in the end. From the moment I started wrestling training, I had my eyes set on WWE. My goal was to not only make it, but to make it in my own way, forge my own path, be true to myself, my uniqueness, and showcase my talent. You know, like on RuPaul's Drag Race. I did not just want to be good for a woman. I wanted to be recognized as a good professional wrestler, and contribute to changing the whole early era of 2000 fitness model, go for a snack or pee break sideshow kind of women's wrestling. Sure, those have their place, but they didn't have to be the only thing young boys and girls were exposed to. Female wrestlers were more than brawn panty matches. Female wrestlers could be marketed as larger than life characters, just like the men. You can't fault me for being punk, 18 years old, and wanting to change the system from the inside out. But I had no idea what kind of beast I was up against. I guess it all started pretty organically. I was working part-time at a Parks and Recreation Fitness Center in Toronto when I was 17. I actually got the gig from co-op in high school because one of those personality tests in career class matched me up to being either a personal trainer or a firefighter. When I was working at the gym, I was approached by another employee who was a local independent wrestler. He said there was a wrestling school in Toronto that was always looking for women. I've always been into contact sports and I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie. So it sounded like something fun to try, much to my poor mother's horror. She always wanted a ballerina who wore high heels and dresses. Boy, did she get shortchanged. Sorry, mom. After my first class, I was hooked. It's like it changed my brain chemistry. Every thought I had from that moment forward was wrestling. Training at Squared Circle Wrestling, which is no longer in business, was very competitive. It was not warm and fuzzy, and people were all 
over you if you didn't follow the unwritten rules of wrestling that I was learning very fast. I instantly understood why my fellow employee was scouting for female members. There weren't any. Not at that time, anyways. Myself and Tiana Ringer started essentially at the same time, except the school had a very strong female alumni. Gail Kim, Angelina Love, Tracy Brooks, Allie, to name a few. But we were not treated like women. We were all treated exactly the same. We all trained together, we all learned together, and we all hurt together. I loved it. I finally felt like I fit in somewhere. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, it was a motley crew. And I truly felt like it was home, home for my misfit soul. Learning how to wrestle is not for the faint of heart. Bruises and jammed fingers and toes were a good day. Dislocations, breaks, concussions were all part of the learning curve. That being said, I am forever grateful for my gritty training. It was the foundation for who I was as a wrestler. Moreover, who I am as a person. I took from it the good, and I tried to pass that along to anyone who has ever trained under me. I didn't block out the bad, but I definitely sifted through the antiquated bullshit, and I adapted to what was fair and not bullying. Fast forward two years later, there I was in McDonough, Georgia, in the WWE developmental system, training five days a week and performing weekly at Deep South Wrestling. I was out of the house for the first time at 19 years old, moved country, and working for the biggest pro wrestling company in the world. I had made it, and I was scared shitless. And even worse, I moved to a country where I couldn't even buy myself a beer. Developmental is false advertising. The name depicts a place of growth and evolution. That is a complete oxymoron. It's a place that strips you of your confidence and leaves you not knowing who or what you are. I am not a delicate flower, and I was aware of this school of hard knocks mentality, but to some degree, it still got to me. I was pretty beaten up physically and mentally after a good six months in the developmental system. Then I got the call. I was being called up to do some dark matches for the main roster on SmackDown. Yes! Get me the fuck out of here! These were my initial thoughts. Then came the clincher. This is roughly how the conversation went. WWE. You are going to be wrestling as a man. Actually, a Japanese boy named Sendai. Me. Okay, hell yes. This is what I've been dreaming of. WWE. But you will have to wear a mask with double mesh on the eyes and mouth, a shoulder padded bodysuit with abs, baggy Aladdin pants, and kick pads. Me. Awesome. I can't wait. WWE. Okay, but you cannot train in the outfit or even let anyone see you in it. You cannot even tell the person making the costume 
that it is for you? Me. Um, okay. So just to get complete clarification, I'm supposed to wrestle in a whole new body, blinded, muzzled, and in front of the largest audience I will ever perform in front of, including the main roster of SmackDown and Vince McMahon without a second of practice, without having the gear custom fitted to my petite measurements. Oh, and my whole career is dependent on the performance. Great. Awesome. Yep. Sounds like a well thought out plan. I can't see what could go wrong. So there it was. My career served up to me on a concave, convoluted platter. Here I was at SmackDown. My debut match was going to be against Jamie Noble. Bless you, Jamie Noble. You are a good human and a professional through and through. You are an incredible talent. And I will always miss your West Virginia accent. Thank you for everything. I had a sit-down meeting one-on-one -on -one with the man, the legend himself, Mr. Vince McMahon. And he loved the idea of me wrestling as a man. Loved it. So we shook hands and that was that. I thought my career was only going up from there. I was ready to put it all out there. This was everything I had dreamed of. But when I walked out to that ramp, lights blazing, huge crowd, the Japanese music, the announcement of Sendai. That's right, folks. Before Emma Stone, before Charlize Theron, there was me, the OG queen of Asian cultural appropriation. I wasn't dreaming. I was having a full-on fucking nightmare. I couldn't see a single fucking thing. My mask did not fit. My eye holes were placed wrong. My kick pads were massive and spinning around my leg literally every step I took and I had zero peripheral vision. I was fucked. I have prided myself on my in-ring abilities, executing moves with speed and precision. I was supposed to be judged on an acrobatic, hard-hitting male performance. I couldn't even see the ropes. I tripped, I wasn't moving well, and I couldn't breathe. This was my version of hell. I honestly couldn't even tell you how the match went, but I can't imagine it went well. But for some unknown reason, I was able to attempt it two more times, and I don't think it ever got better. I was never allowed to work out the kinks. I needed gear that fit. I needed my vision. I needed at least one session to practice. But that wasn't the demise of Sendai. Even though it felt that way because I didn't feel I got the opportunity to deliver what I'm capable of. A great match, athleticism, a character. The idea behind Sendai was he was gunning for the cruiserweight title and eventually would win and be unmasked as a female. Ta-da! Me, the newest member of the WWE SmackDown Divas division. However, the person who will remain nameless, who was the cruiserweight champion at the time, had a full-fledged man tantrum. Refused to drop the title to a woman. 
wah, wah, bullshit, wah, white male problems, wah. But the tantrum worked. The idea was crushed. At the same time, a fire was blazing through the main roster and developmental system. After a year of employment, I was released from my WWE contract. I knew it was because the idea they had for me was nullified. And instead of going back to the drawing board, I was disposable. It was easier and cheaper to hire a model who they could mold into whatever they needed. I wasn't even bitter. I just felt deflated. Female wrestlers tended to have too many opinions and nothing's changed. It was an incredible opportunity and I'm truly thankful I'd gotten that far, but the cards were stacked too high against me. I should have gotten the gear fitted regardless of what I was told, but the WWE tailors and seamstresses were not doing it for me. My apologies if he's listening, but he must have been new at the gig because the quality was questionable and it was supposed to be this secret. So I had to find someone on my own. But I didn't know anyone in Georgia. I'd only been there for six months. So finding someone who could make excellent wrestling gear was a huge undertaking. And I should have asked for after hours training, no matter how many times they told me no. I should have worn the outfit at my home, rolled around and at least gotten more comfortable. I could have done more to change the outcome. But I was young and I was afraid to rock the boat. That is what can happen when developmental. You get stripped. And I'll just leave that there. So to come full circle, I, Taylor Wilde, was not rejected by WWE. In fact, I had quite the opportunity. I was just a victim of circumstance and I lacked the support and direction I needed to overcome and achieve. But in the end, I got a bit of a haha. WWE is this gigantic corporation that has a revolving door of staff top to bottom. After WWE, I was capitalizing on my youth and I was working as a promotional model at corporate events and booking print work. I applied to be WWE Magazine's Super Sexy Fan of the Month. And guess what? Your girl got the booking. They did a full 8x10 spread photo of me and this big write-up about how amazing of a fan I was. They did this without anyone recognizing me or the fact that I had just been under contract for a year and the talent division works in this same building and probably across the office from whoever works at the magazine. Fans were confused. I thought it was well played. Moreover, it emphasized how small you are as developmental talent in the big machine that is WWE. And that's my story of the little Japanese boy who couldn't. So I packed up my life into my 1997 Jeep Cherokee and drove the 24 hours home to Toronto by myself. Re-enrolled in university and six months later, TNA called me for a tryout. 
I will save that story for another episode. Footnotes. Deep South Wrestling. Deep South Wrestling was a professional wrestling promotion based in McDonough, Georgia. Deep South worked in tandem with WWE as a developmental territory from 2005 to 2007. Sendai. My character that wrestled in dark matches for SmackDown against Jamie Noble. It is also a city in Japan. SmackDown. A professional wrestling show for the best wrestlers battle against each other in various divisions for coveted titles. Jamie Noble. Real name is James Gibson. He is an American professional wrestler who currently works for WWE as a producer. Cruiserweight is a weight class for professional wrestling. WWE uses up to 205 pounds as its weight limit. Dark match, a non-televised match at a televised show. A dark match before the show is often used to test new talent or warm up the crowd. A dark match after the show typically features main event level wrestlers in order to sell more tickets and send the crowd home happy without affecting TV storylines. Honorable mentions for my time as WWE developmental talent. Natty Neidhart, Angelina Love, Chrissy Vane, Rebecca DiPietro, The Bella Twins, Brooke Adams, Luscious, Melissa Coates, Tracy Taylor. These were the women of Deep South Wrestling. We went through phases of propping each other up and driving each other absolutely batshit. To say our menstrual cycles were synced is an understatement. We were under constant strain and scrutiny and also in direct competition with each other. But we also had a lot of laughs and good times. Tommy Dreamer, Jamie Noble, Dean Malenko, the men who truly believed in me and gave me my big opportunities. For them, I will be forever grateful, not to mention they're absolute legends. Lacey and Bill DeMont, my coach and family away from home. Bill is a great coach and an even better human being. He nicknamed me the Silver Bullet. Great people I met while in WWE Developmental, who I had meaningful moments with. The Undertaker, Ric Flair, RVD, Tori Wilson, Booker T, Charmel, Paul London, Rey Mysterio, Steven Richards, William Regal, Dave Taylor, and Batista. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you like it. Also, taking the time out to give a five-star rating whilst leaving a comment will help bring your girl closer to a studio. Check out the Wild On merch store for all your Taylor Wild shopping needs. I will provide a link in the description. Also, if you haven't already, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at RealTaylorWild. That's wild with an E. Until next week.